My name is Justin, one of the pastors here at Peninsula Grace, and I just had to start bragging on our girl, Allie Ostrander. If you were watching ESPN last night, Allie, a sophomore at Boise State, now two-time NCAA champion in the steeplechase. Let's give it up for Allie. Come on. Peninsula Grace's own. They called her the baby face assassin because she still looks like she's 11 years old defeating these girls that have muscles in places I didn't even know existed on somebody's body. Oh man, it was amazing. So we were cheering her on. Uh, we're glad you're here. I was gone last week. Uh, Pastor Dr. Keith Hamilton did a great job uh, standing in for me. I was able to listen to that on the, on the podcast. I was across the inlet at Port Allsworth, Tenalian Bible Camp. Hadn't been there for 25 years since I was a camper. I was uh, helping with their basketball camp. Uh, they had 72 campers from all over uh, Village, Alaska, the largest camp that Tenalian had ever had. It was awesome to be a part of that. Uh, four two-hour sessions a day on the basketball court, and my hips paid for it dearly. They did. Uh, but it was incredible seeing lives changing uh, through the course of the week. And speaking of camp, we also have a lot of our Solid Rock staff here today. Shout out to Solid Rock. You always know when they're coming in, they got a lot of Carhartt and Extra Tufts, right? We're glad that you're here from all over the U.S., uh, and we could smell you coming. That barn just carries, man. It just carries with you guys, but we're glad you're here. Summertime, a lot of coming and going uh, in Alaska. We're a transient state in the summertime, and so just a reminder, uh, this is just a free advertisement. We don't make any money off of this, but if you go to our website, peninsulagrace.org, you can listen to the sermons, download the PowerPoints that go with those sermons uh, to be able to follow along as you're in and out over the course of the summer. You can also listen to the podcast on whatever uh, app, device you use. Uh, you can just find us there, and then we've also also got a reading plan. As we've been walking through the book of Romans, we encourage, we, we want people to be able to feed themselves in the Word of God. And so we have this plan that we have each week that shows the the, the passage that we're going to be reading the following week, but then also some links to other places in the Bible that sort of expand and connect with what God was saying in Romans. So we encourage you, check out that plan that's under the sermons tab on our website, and there's also a, re a weekly reading plan in your bulletin that you can take home as well. Uh, if, if you've been with us, though, you've been seeing, we've been walking through, we're now in chapter 4 of Romans, and we've been saying that Romans shows us, tells us, the power of the gospel. The way that the gospel saves us, grows us, in the way that only the gospel can. And, and we've been following Paul's argument here. We saw in the first two and a half chapters, he looked at sin. He said there's nothing that you and I can do to earn a right relationship with God. That we deserve nothing but his wrath, nothing but eternal separation from him. But then he looks at the next two chapters, the good news. The way that we are saved, that God has offered to us freely what we could never earn on our own. And that's a right relationship with him through Jesus. And the only thing he's asked of us is to open our hands and freely receive it by what we call faith. And that's what we're in the middle of right now. And last, two weeks ago, we, we started in chapter 4 and we started talking about Abraham. And we said he is like the Jewish godfather, right? And Abraham, uh, we looked at the life of Abraham because we anticipated uh, what Paul, Paul anticipated, some arguments from his Jewish cohorts in, in Rome. They might say, well, wait a second, Abraham. If we're saved by faith, not works, what about our boy Abraham? 
He was a good guy. He was an awesome guy. He was circumcised. He did a lot of good things to earn a right standing with God. So Abraham just knocks down those arguments one at a time. And he said, last two weeks ago, we saw in part one, he said, no, Abraham was justified by faith, not circumcision. In fact, it was 13 or 14 years before he was ever even circumcised that God declared him right in his sight. So it couldn't have been because of circumcision. And then we looked at it. It wasn't the, it wasn't the fact that he worked. He said, what you earn from your wages is what's due you. That, that's works. He said, there's nothing Abraham could do to earn salvation. All he was called to do was to freely receive what God was giving him, to believe in God's promise. And this is what Paul's going to unpack here in the second part of Romans 4 that we're going to look at today. We're going to look at two things. Number one, the nature of God's promise to Abraham. What kind of a promise it was. Everything hinges on that. And then we're going to see number two, what is the nature of Abraham's response to God's promise, what we call faith. So let's, let's look at this together. So first of all, the nature of, of God's promise to Abraham. We're going to see at the heart of this, and what's most important that Abraham's going to bring out today, is that it's based on, the, on, the, on faith, not on the law. It's based on faith, not on the law. Follow with me. This is uh, Romans, or, yeah, Romans chapter 4, verse 13. Uh, will be in the ESV, the English Standard Version, unless it's indicated otherwise. We go to the New Living as t- at times as well. It says, verse 13, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring, that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. It does not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So what's he talking about here? You remember the story in Genesis chapter 12, of God blessing Abraham, here he comes to this random 75-year-old in the middle of nowhere. And he looks at him and says, I'm going to make your name great, which, check, we're talking about him today, right? Your name is going to be great. I'm going to make you into a great nation. And in fact, from your nation, Israel, I'm going to bless all nations. That's his promise to Abraham. Now, now remember, Abraham is, is a senior citizen at this point. He's 75 years old. He's been getting movie theater discounts for a decade. And he still has no children whatsoever. And God makes his promise to him. This is incredible. And what he promises him here, he says, you're going to be the heir of the world. That's an amazing inheritance. Like, I love my dad. But all I'm getting is a lawnmower and some A&W root beer shirts, right? That's a short end of the stick, brother. He says, I'm going to give you the world. I'm going to give you the entire world. And and that's a callback to, to Genesis chapter 12. He says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And this was a whisper of Jesus coming. Because it was through Abraham's line, through the people of Israel, that Jesus would come. And Abraham would be the physical forefather of Jesus. And Jesus would die for the sins of the world. And so Abraham would become the spiritual forefather of every believer who has ever lived from every country. Now that's an inheritance. That's a promise. That's a blessing. And, and, and Paul says this crazy promise was given to Abraham through the keeping of faith, not the keeping of the law. Look at, again, the New Living. I like the way it says this. Clearly, again in verse 13, God's promise to give the whole earth to Abraham and his descendants was based not on his obedience to God's law, but on a right relationship that comes with God, that comes by faith. Now, how do we know that Abraham was saved by faith, not the law? Well, just like it was 13 years later when he was circumcised, so it couldn't have been because he was circumcised, the law didn't come for four more centuries. Abraham was dead by the time the law came. Look at, Paul talks about this in Galatians 3. He says, this is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. 
He had already made a promise. And then if he adds the law onto it, he'd be going back and breaking his promise. And you go back to Romans 4, and this is what he's saying. For if the adherents or keepers of the law, who are to be the heirs, if it is, sorry, if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Now that's a lot to throw at you out of the gate, so let me give you this illustration. This would be like if I was to get married, which is about as miraculous as Abraham having a kid at 99, right? He stand, uh, imagine I'm standing at the altar. I'm holding the hands of my bride-to-be. I say, baby girl... I unconditionally promise to love you, to stay with you, whether you're sick or you're healthy, whether you're dirt poor or stacking paper to the ceilings, I will never leave you until the day I die. Wink. But then, a couple days later, we're on the honeymoon. I say, sweetheart, I have a list of demands for you. If I'm to remain your husband, if you're to remain my wife, here's a couple of rules. Goes out the door. You will cook for me three times a day, morning, noon, and night, from scratch, preferably gluten-free. You will clean the house from top to bottom once a week, and I'm coming with a white glove to make sure you've done your job. Right? And you will exercise because, well, we don't even go, okay. So and you can probably see why I'm a 34-year-old bachelor, right? So, so what, would I, what did I just do? I just nullified my promise, right? I made my promise pointless. I vowed to her unconditionally, I'll love you and be faithful to you. But then I turn around and say, actually, you've got to keep this list of demands if I'm going to be your husband. My promise is made null and void if I add demands to it. And Paul is saying, if God made these promises to Abraham and then turns around and says, actually, you need to keep 613 laws in order for this promise to be effective, he's nullified the promise. That's not unconditional. And in verse 15, he reminds us of the, pro- of the problem if he had to keep the law anyways. He goes, for the law brings wrath. We're sinners. We can't keep the law. The only thing the law does is reveal how we fall short of God's standard and how we need something outside of ourselves to save us. Where there's no law, there's no transgression. But there is a law, there is a standard, and and we fall short. But here's the good news. God's promise to Abraham, it wasn't based on the law. So there was nothing that Abraham could do to lose it. So no, if it's not because of how awesome Abraham was, how good he was, that caused him to deserve it, Why in the world did God give it to him simply by believing? There's two reasons that his righteousness is based on on faith, not on the law. Look at the first reason. So that it would rest on God's grace. So it would rest on God's grace. He says that is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. Now, follow him. Here's his logic. It. What's the it? The promise. The promise to justify Abraham and everyone who believes following him. That promise is based on faith. He says the reason that it, this promise, depends on faith is in order that, so that, it would rest on grace. So you see the connection here. He says it's got to be by faith so that it can rest on grace. So the first question we ask is, well, what is grace? And grace is simply this. It's simply God's kindness, his favor, his good will toward us. That's what grace is. It's God being good to us. It's God being for us. 
his favor upon us. Now, have you and I earned an ounce of that goodness? Give you a hint. The answer rhymes with no. We've done nothing to deserve anything good from God. All we deserve is his wrath. His eternal separation from him. That's what he was saying in verse 15. The only thing that comes from, from what we've done is his wrath. But the good, the glorious news is, yes, God is a God of justice. God is a God of wrath. But God is also a God of grace. And when he looked at Abraham, he looked at him like his own little child. He says, I love you. And Abraham, I want to, because I'm a God of grace, I want to bless your socks off. That, that I want to, simply because loving kindness just oozes out of your daddy. Because he's for you, Abraham. I want to do this for you. And the nature of grace is grace freely gives us better than we deserve. If, we, if there's a second that we're not getting God's wrath, that's grace. Any good thing that we get is God's kindness and favor, undeserved. And grace freely gives us what we cannot produce. We could not produce goodness. We could not produce righteousness before God. So God killed his son on our behalf. Jesus took our sins and we get the righteousness of Jesus inside of us. God gave us what we could never produce on our own. That's his grace. And faith, we said faith is simply the hand of the heart that, that receives that kindness and says, I trust that my daddy will make all things right. Now, why is it so important that the promise rests on grace and not on my works? Why is that so important? And you're probably already putting that together. Well, the second reason here is that so it would be guaranteed, he says, to all who believe. Look at verse 16. That's why it depends on faith. In order that the promise may rest on grace and, here's the second part of it, be guaranteed to all his offspring, which is who he says is not just Israel, but all who have placed their faith in what God says about who the Messiah was. That's all of us who believe. And he says it's a guarantee. Now the key word here is guarantee. A guarantee, it means, the word means stable or firm. Something that is sure and, and trustworthy. So he says, what he's saying here is the only way that God's promise can be guaranteed. The only way that we can be sure. The only way we can take it to the bank. The only way that you and I can lean our whole weight, our whole life on what God is promising is if it's based on God's grace, not our works. That's the only way that it can be a sure thing. Or you can say it like this, the value of a promise is dependent upon the truthfulness of the one who promised, not the performance of the promisee. Do you, do you catch that? The, the, the promise is dependent on the one who made it and if they're trustworthy or not, not on the performance of, of the promise. See, I'll give you an illustration. All right, I knew Solid Rock was coming, so I need a Solid Rock volunteer. Someone who I've never met before. His hand's up. What's, what's your name? Andrew. Andrew. Come on up here. Come on up here, Andrew. And uh, bring a chair with you, Andrew. We'll see if you're lakeside or wagon train. Wa wagon, wagon train's usually stronger. Oh, look at that. He must be wagon train. <laughs> Grab that train, that hand, that chair. How you doing, buddy? Andrew, where are you from? I'm from uh, Soldotna. Soldotna, where is that? <laughs> Andrew, get out of here. All right, Andrew, I want you to turn, I want you to face the chair like this. And I want you to stand up on that chair. Now, don't face me, face that wall. Now, Andrew, I promise unconditionally that if you fall backward, <laughs> I will catch you. Now, the value of that promise 
is not based on Andrew's abilities, is it? Like, all he has to do is fall backward, right? That's not an ability. Like, they didn't, Solid Rock, you know, they're, when they're filling out their application, it wasn't, can you fall backward, yes or no, right? It's not, this is nothing about Andrew. This is all about me. And, and the value of my promise is, does Andrew trust that, A, I'm strong enough, check, right? <laughs> and that I'm good enough. Because if Andrew doesn't think that I'm for him and I'm some sicko that's going to stand to the side, watch him fall on his head and bleed out while I'm giggling, right, then I probably wouldn't do this. Andrew, do you trust me? Yes. All right. Do you even, Andrew, you don't even know me. Do you remember my name? I'm sorry, no. Ah, uh, see, that's, <laughs> this is the high quality of staff that Solid Rock brings in. All right. Andrew, we do not have insurance to cover this, so I'm just going to ask you to step down carefully. <laughs> and let's give Andrew a hand. Good job, Andrew. We're going to talk about that at our business meeting, see if we can fold that in. I want some better illustrations. But the question is, the, the ultimate question, the ultimate question is, do we trust the God who made the promise? That if I'm going to trust my life my eternity in his hands. It's not on my ability to hold up my end of the bargain. It's do I trust this God is strong enough to save me? And that when he said in his word that Jesus died in my place and is good enough to accept me in his place, that he means it. Do we trust him? See, grace through faith depends on God, the giver. If it's based on my performance... <laughs> They're going to fail, right? I'm a weak sinner. I can't do anything. But the promises, the word says, cannot fail because my God can't fail. In fact, and this is so beautiful, verse 17, he's so sure. I love when God gets cocky in the way that only God can get cocky because he's God. Look at what he says. He calls his shot. Verse 17, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Now this is written in, in Genesis 17. Abraham and, and Isaac, or Abraham and Sarah have not even conceived yet. He says, I have made you the father of many nations. At this point, he hasn't even made them the father of one nation. In fact, Abraham's not a baby daddy at all. But he goes, it's as good as, a, here I am the God who stands outside of time. And that I am absolutely sovereign. And if I say something is going to happen, it's as good as though it already happened. Which is why when he looks at us and says, those he's justified, he's also glorified. In other words, those he's, made, he's saved, he's also made perfect. It's as good as though it's already happened. If he started a good work in you, he will finish it. That's my God. He says, I have made you a father of many nations. So the nature of God's promise to Abraham, it's an unconditional vow. It's not a list of rules that Abraham has to keep. It's based on God's grace, God's power, God's strength, God's trustworthiness, alone. And it's simply our faith that receives it and banks on his grace. So what does the faith of Abraham look like? If that's the nature of the promise, then what's the nature of a faith that, that it believes in that promise? Let's look at number two. First of all, it's in the person of God. The object of Abraham's faith is God, the God himself. In fact, he says this in verse 17, in the presence of the God in whom he believed. The value of the promise was the truthfulness the trustworthiness of the one who made the promise. So what kind of a God is Abraham placing his faith in? We said we all have faith. The question is, what's the object? So what's the object of Abraham's faith? It's this kind of God. And he says two things about this God. First of all, he's a God that gives life to the dead. Now think about that. That's a powerful God. I do not have the ability to give life to the dead. 
If I had a mosquito, a dead mosquito in my hand, praise Jesus, that mosquito's dead. I do not have the ability, live, go suck some more blood. I can't do that, right? I don't have, you don't have the ability to give life to the dead. And is this not a whisper to the resurrection? Second thing he says about God is he's the God who can call into existence the things that don't exist. He can call into existence things that don't exist. That's creation, right? The phrase, Latin phrase, ex nihilo, out of nothing. God spoke the universe into existence. You and I, we're created in his image. We can create, but we have to take things and make things out of other things. God makes things out of no thing. That's a power I would love to have, right? Sour Patch Kids, right? Always my go-to, always. We can't do that. We do not have that ability, but my God does. And Abraham is saying, the object of my faith is a God that can produce something out of nothing, a God that can call to life the dead. That's my God. That's the one I trust. Now, why does Paul choose to say those specific things about his God? Why does he say this about the God he can trust? Well, look at what he says next. Abraham's faith is a faith that is there in spite, in spite of his circumstances. Look at the obstacles of Abraham's faith. 18, in hope, he believed against hope. In hope, he believed against hope. What's that mean? That means from a human perspective, on human grounds, he had no good reason to trust God. He had no good reason. Look, look at what God promised again, that he should become the father of many nations, as he'd been told, so shall your offspring be. Now, why was this promise that he's going to be a father of many nations so crazy? Well, he tells us in verse 19, he reminds us, he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old. Any, any 99-year-olds in the house planning to recreate soon? I didn't think so. He says, his body is as good as dead. He is not able. It's a miracle that Abraham's own heart is pumping at this point, let alone to be able to give life to another. And not only Abraham, he says, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. And this can touch on some sore spots. Well, what he's saying here, and, and the, you see the little footnote, I left it in there, because the ESV footnote is that barrenness, that can be the word deadness. I have a disease called avascular necrosis in my hips. That means the blood's not flowing to them, wasn't flowing to them until I had my surgeries. So what was happening? My hips were dead. The bones were deteriorating. And at the age of 20, the doctor said, in five years, you won't be walking. Why? Because there's no life. Your hips are impotent. They're dead. They're, they're, they're not connected to life. And he says, Sarah's womb was dead, impotent. There was no life there. So between the deadness of Abraham and the deadness of Sarah, he goes, for you to be a have any descendants, let alone be the father of many nations, it's not coming from you. You're dead. So when God says, look up at the stars, those are going to be your descendants. Abraham has plenty of circumstantial evidence to argue. Plenty of reason for his faith to waver in his God, but it doesn't. Look at verse 20. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave God the glory. Why does God get the glory? Because he's the one that's going to do it, not Abraham. Verse 21, he was fully convinced that God was able to do what he promised. He goes, I know it looks bleak, but isn't that what we said faith is? Faith is confidently accepting what you can't see. He says, my circumstances say one thing, but my invisible God is the God that can bring life to the dead and call into being what isn't there. 
And it actually says here his faith was strengthened. Because he looked around, he had nowhere else to turn, did he? His circumstances. I can't trust my own ability. I can't trust my wife's. I can't trust anybody else. I've only got one place to go, and that's my God. And that was the object of his faith. He goes, if my God is trustworthy, then so is his promise. And he pushed his chips all into the middle of the table. Now, it might be easy to get the impression here that Abraham is just this, like, faith machine, right? That he just never wavered, like, bring it on, the bullets are flying, I'll have a baby when I'm 200, right? Like, he's just not afraid, bring it, that's not, but look at what it says here. He grew strong in his faith. What's that imply? Grew strong. That means there's, there's, there's improvement, right? There's a strengthening of a faith. We know, if you go back and read Genesis, he's far from perfect. He throws his wife under the bus a couple times in Egypt, and, and in particularly... In particularly here, Abraham, he actually says, I don't think that we can do it the way God said we're going to do it. So he sleeps with his maidservant, Hagar, and has Ishmael. Because maybe that's how we'll do it. I'll figure it out my own way. And what Paul said in Galatians 4 about that, he said the son of the slave wife was born in a human attempt to bring about the fulfillment of God's promise. This was Abraham not trusting God, doing it his own way. But over time, God wore him down with his own grace. He said, you can trust me, Abraham. He grew he grew. Many times, Abraham doubted God. He questioned God. He failed God. And isn't that good news? Because <laughs> you and I, we will fail God. We will put our trust in other things. We will let God down. And that's the beauty of this promise. It's not based on my ability, my trustworthiness, my faithfulness, but my God's faithfulness and trustworthiness. And it says, and because of Abraham's faith, not his works, not his circumcision, not him keeping the law, his faith. God counted him as righteous. He said, when I look at you, I accept you as you are because of your faith. Now, I love when Paul makes application easy for us, and he does that here. He says, when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit, too. He goes, this isn't, this isn't just for Abraham. It's those of us in this gym in 2018. As we are reading this, he goes, this is a benefit for you, too. How does it benefit us? He says in verse 24, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus, our Lord, from the dead. You see, we need this assurance. We need to know that we will be made acceptable in God's sight if we believe Jesus. Because what happens is the devil and his flesh, and, his, and, our, and our, our own flesh, they like to team up. And they like to come at us and in the middle of our circumstances. And they like to whisper, there's, there's no way, there's no way, there's no way that God can keep his promise there. What you just did, what you just went through, what you are going through, what you're going to go through, no way, no way that God can be faithful. My favorite illustration of this is, is Peter when he was called by Jesus to step out of the boat and walk on water. To, to what he's, he's called to go forward. Remember, Peter starts walking, then he starts freaking out. The waves start coming, and he starts to sink into the, ground, into the water. Now, to be fair, that's a legitimately terrifying situation. Imagine being out on the Cook Inlet, and it's stormy weather, in the middle of this huge body of water, and some guy comes strolling along and says, jump out of the boat, let's take a stroll. What? what come again? I mean, this is, what, 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 what he is being called to here is legitimately scary. His circumstances are real, right? It's easy for Peter to doubt God's word. 
just like Abraham, who is nearing triple digits and being told to shop at the baby gap, right? That's a legitimately, like, you're looking at God's word and going, how my circumstances say, there's no way this is going to happen. And it's easy for us to look at our circumstances and say, there's no way that this is true. I love the song, Before the Throne of God, and it says, when Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. Here's what Satan likes to do to us. He loves to look at you and go, man, you are a mess. Look at you. Look at what you've done. And he points us to the guilt and despair. And he goes, I know what you did last summer. He goes, I've seen your internet browser history. I've seen the dirty thoughts. I heard you in the car ride on the way to church this morning. I heard that four-letter word. I heard it. He goes, I, I've, I've seen the dark secrets. I, I know the things in your life that nobody else knows. Or he says, I, I've seen the trials that you're going through. I see the suffering that you're enduring. And there is no way your God can save you from that. You know what? Like Peter's waves and like Sarah's womb, our circumstances are real. <laughs> Those are real. Our sin and our guilt, that's real. Those are real things. And there's nothing that you and I can do on our own to remove the guilt and the shame. There's nothing you and I can do to save ourselves from our own circumstances. But the song doesn't end there. The song does not end there. And just like Abraham, God will count us right in his sight if by faith against all circumstances we believe in the God that can give life to the dead. Because Jesus died on the cross, but three days later, God raised him up, defeating sin and death once for all. Satan tempts me to look within, but the next part of the song says, upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. The truth is not that you haven't sinned. The, the truth is not that you're not guilty. You are a sinner. You are guilty. The truth is Jesus made an end to it. That Jesus rose from the dead and the same thing can happen to us if we place our faith in him. Jesus, just like Sarah's womb, dead, no life, and the power of God called him back up to life. And you and I, we were born into this world, stillborns, dead in our sin no ability to live, no ability to please God, no ability to do anything in his sight whatsoever acceptable. But God gave life to the dead and called into existence that which did not exist. He gave us the life of Jesus. And he called me out of that grave. I ran out of that grave. Do you, do you trust God's promises to you? You look at the circumstances around, you see the waves, you see the trials, you see the suffering, you see the sin. Are my eyes on my sin or are my eyes on my Savior? Peter could only walk on the water and advance forward if his eyes were on Jesus. And that's where he lands the plane here in chapter 4. Paul says he, Jesus, was handed over to die because of our sins. We deserve the wrath of God and God must punish every sin. And he did so on the cross. Jesus paid for every sin of every person of all time so that everybody that came from Abraham that placed his faith in that Jesus would be saved. And Abraham inherits the world. Then he says Jesus was raised to life to make us right with God. His resurrection validated his payment 
It was a receipt that showed that God, his wrath was fully satisfied. And now that new life of Jesus, that perfect life that's acceptable before God, the only good life that's ever lived is now placed in you and I that we can be given perfect, acceptable standing before God because of what Jesus did. He gets our sin. We get his perfect life. That's an awesome deal. Do you know that, Jesus? Are your eyes on him? This unconditional vow. He looks at us, his bride, the church. He says, I accept you. I will never leave you. I'll never forsake you through sickness or in health until death do us part. And in Jesus, death never does us part. And that's based on the power of his grace, not on my performance. Amen. Let's pray. Father, Oh, Father, we don't deserve that. We deserve nothing but your wrath, nothing but your judgment. Father, I want to say thank you for your grace. Like Abraham, I want to give you all the glory because this this gift, this is all based on your power to catch us when we've fallen, not on our performance. Father, if there's anybody in this room today that hasn't placed their faith in Jesus, that they would do so today, that they could experience what it means to call the dead to life. And maybe there's a believer in here today that's going through suffering, going through trials, or as they're growing in their faith, they've they've been caught up by Satan's tactics, and they're looking from within and going, God can't use me, God can't grow me, God can't save me, God doesn't love me. Lord, we pray for repentance. We pray that the eyes would be taken off self and put on to Jesus, and that his truth would be accepted, that he has made an end to all our sin that we are fully acceptable in your sight. Not because we're not sinners, but because Jesus is an all-sufficient Savior. It's in his risen, powerful, beautiful name that we come to you and pray. Amen.